it's a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to create a place where people can come <clears throat> from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different uh, situations in life. If I were to go across this room right now and, and uh, try to categorize people and have you sit with people that look just like you, we'd have a lot of little people groups in here tonight. Because there's a lot of things that are going on in our lives that uh, though we have a lot in common, they cause us to feel like we're all by ourselves, and it's not true. We're not all by ourselves. We all go through the same stuff. We all go through things together. And um, when we come here on Saturday nights, the cool thing is, is that we don't have to come to a place where we're looking for everybody to look the same. We're just all coming because we all need the same thing. And so we come with all kinds of different things, but when we come together, God has a way of bringing us together. It's amazing. If I were to have you guys go to a, uh, a rock concert or a sporting event or something, they have a unifying effect. And in a lot of ways when people gather and they lift their hearts to Jesus and they begin to turn their focus to something like God outside of themselves, they begin to experience something that is bigger than themselves. And our heart and our prayer is that you guys would be able to get the answers to the questions that you may be wrestling with. Be able to feel the burdens that you're carrying lifted. Be able to walk a little lighter and to be able to know why that is. Because some of us here tonight have experienced that. We're walking lighter as a result of it. We've been having a really cool time over the last six weeks or so talking about this world that we live in. Talking about the fact that in this world that we live in, there is two very distinct, separate kingdoms that are operating all around us. Many times we don't see them. Many times we aren't aware of them. But they are happening all the time. And if you look behind me, you see on this side that there's a, a beautiful banner that talks about the kingdom of light. It talks about God. It talks about all that God represents. And on this side over here, we've got the kingdom of darkness. And all of the things that that represents. And in the Bible, there's a verse that says in 1 Peter... So you can show others the goodness of God. He called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. And we've found over the course of the last month and a half or so that there are two very distinct markers in these two kingdoms. And those markers are light and darkness. We've learned through reading scripture that the Bible says that God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. And so everything that you've experienced in your life that is bad, everything that you've experienced in your life that you can look at and say, that's abuse, that's, that's neglect, that's injustice, all of those things that we in our life and in our society sometimes pin on God. The Bible says that He is light and there's no darkness in Him at all. And so we have learned through Scripture that every dark thing, is completely foreign to God. Everything that we see that is dark and ugly and destructive is not from God. And we've begun in our journey to see a crazy picture, but it's a beautiful picture. I want to put it up behind you. It's actually a picture of two worlds colliding. You see up here in the top a picture of a crown, and this represents God. And it represents his, his heart and his, his desire to want to be close to you and I. And then we see this arrow of God coming down to the world that was full of darkness. 
We went all the way back to the beginning of the story where we saw God's heart torn in two as He watched His creation suffer an absolute devastating event when sin entered the world and a curse occurred. And then we saw the plan of God for redemption as He began to come through the life of Jesus and as He began to redeem this world of darkness back to Himself. And right there in the middle of this picture, you can see that light. You can see that glow that's starting to spread outward. And that is the church. That is where you and I find ourselves, that call ourselves followers of God. We find ourselves right in the middle of the darkness and we find ourselves being engaged in the very same things that Jesus was engaged in. Do you know that the Bible literally says in 1 John that the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the devil. It says the reason He came, the reason that Jesus came down to this world full of darkness was to destroy the works of the devil or the kingdom of darkness. And so God is engaged in one very clear thing. God is engaged in the act of repossession. God wants back what he lost. He wants it back. I don't know if any of you here have ever had something repossessed. I had a car repossessed one time. Time to bear my dirty soul to you guys. But when you lose something that you thought was yours, you kind of have a feeling of, Man, that sucker, I want it back. Well, you've got to pay your payments, if you, apparently, if you want to keep the, keep the vehicle, but um, that's a whole other story. Lessons learned. But I want to ask you something. Have you ever lost something that was valuable to you? Have you ever lost something in your life that was valuable? I know that if we were to go around this room tonight and we were to say, what kind of event in your life have you suffered loss? There'd be all kinds of answers. Some of us would name a person, a loved one. Some of us would name a time in our life where we thought life was good and we lost that moment or that time. Some of us, it would be our innocence. Some of us, it would be our marriage. Some of us, it would be our sobriety. All kinds of different answers that we would give. But the, the understanding is that God lost something valuable. And He relates that to you and I tonight. And God wants us back. We've been talking about this kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. We've been talking about these, the way that these two kingdoms interact around us. We've discovered that truly at the center of the story between God and Satan is us. We lie at the center of the story. And God is focused on us, on redeeming us. And Satan is focused on us, on holding us in captivity to try to destroy our lives so that he can put us on display before God in his arrogance. And he can say, see God, you are not that strong. I've still got my grip on them. And God has provided a way for us to be free. But in the midst of this struggle that you and I find ourselves in, there's a lot of things that are happening. And tonight we're going to look at one of those things that is taking place all around us. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse number 9, I want to read you a short passage where Jesus literally says these words. He says, I want you to pray like this. It's a famous passage. Our Father in heaven, 
May your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today and forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In this verse, Jesus says a lot of very interesting things. But the one that I want to focus on right now is the last statement that he makes. He says, don't let us yield to temptation. Temptation is one of those things that all of us can relate to. I'm about to put a piece of gum in my mouth. Are you tempted? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> temptation is one of those things that when we think of temptation, there's all kinds of different images that might come to our mind. Matter of fact, there was a TV show out last year called Temptation Island. I don't know if you guys remember that one, but it was just captivating on this theme of all of the things that you and I are drawn to. That if you lock us up on an island, a bunch of good-looking guys, a bunch of good-looking girls, and you know, nobody's around except for you know, five million viewers and a TV camera, just watch what they're going to do. And it's not scripted, of course. You know, it's all real. But temptation is something that a lot of times I think we get it wrong. A lot of times we think in terms of temptation like it's this thing that comes across our path that we've never really thought of before. And all of a sudden, when it comes past us, we're just, oh, wow, doesn't that look amazing? I've never experienced anything like this, and we, we just have to have it. And it's just this magical thing that just captivates us, and we just, you know, hook, line, and sink or bite into this thing. Unfortunately, temptation's really not that black and white. And a lot of times, it's really not that blatant. Temptation sometimes can be much more subtle. See... When we read the story of God, and when we begin to unfold this amazing concept of God wanting us, and desiring to have a relationship with us, and God coming after us, and laying down His life for us, and then He says, I want you. He doesn't say, I just want to be in a relationship with you where we can just both kind of do our own thing and get through life. Jesus says, I want to give you life but it's going to cost you everything. I want to exchange your life for mine. And when we make this exchange, I will come alive inside of you in a way that nothing on this earth ever will satisfy you. And we begin to go into this relationship with God, this understanding that He gets everything. Not part of it, not just my dreams, not just my ideas. God gets all of me. And we enter into this idea that, God, I am now yours. And then temptation comes into play. Temptation, at its core, at its most basic place, is really all about worship. You say, well, what do you mean it's all about worship? For some of us, we just sang songs and we just put words up on a screen that we could all use these words as an expression of our hearts to God. And some of us call that worship, and it's rightly so. But worship is really all about a heart being given to somebody else. And temptation is all about trying to get us to give our heart to something or somebody else. 
besides God. Temptation is really much deeper than just this shiny object that comes walking along. See, in order to understand temptation, you've got to understand what sin really is. And sin is one of those words that some of us have a really mis a misconception of what it is. Some of us think in terms of sin as it's actually a written list of do's and don'ts. And sin is something that we can just put on a wall in our bedroom and say, if I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, well then I am good in the eyes of God because I haven't sinned because nothing is on here that I've done. But that's not sin. Sin is all about your heart. Sin is all about making something other than God the ultimate in your life. Sin is all about anything in this world that you look at, that you grab to, and you say, God, I want this more than I want you. And we make it ultimate in our life. Sin is really about choosing ourselves over God. Sin is really about, I want me first. And so temptation comes into this, this give and take because at its core, it's all about who comes first in your life. There's a story in the Bible that is really an awesome picture for us to be able to see temptation in its, in its perfect analogy. It's actually between Jesus and Satan. In Luke chapter 4, we read an interaction between these two, and it says in verse 1, Then Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness, where the devil tempted him for 40 days. He ate nothing all, all that time, and he was very hungry. And then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, change this stone into a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people need more than bread for their life. Then the devil took Jesus up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil told him, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus replied by saying, The scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil took him to, to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, If you are the Son of God, jump. For the scriptures say, He orders his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you with, your hand, with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, Don't test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. You and I, we live in a world that is full of idols. It's full of things that are trying to get us to worship them. To worship something other than God. These idols that you and I encounter every single day, on the surface can seem very benign and almost good. Prestige, a career a family, wanting to, to become somebody or something. Many times we put our life and the pursuit of our life in the hands of these things that can never give us, give us what we desperately, desperately want 
them to give us. In this story, we find an interaction where Satan literally comes to Jesus and he tempts him with every single thing that you and I are tempted with. They may look different in this story, but they're the same things that we're made of. See, at its basic thing here, Satan tempted Jesus in his identity. He wanted to know, who are you? He tempted him in his authority. He's like, what can you do? He tempted him in his loyalties. He's like, who do you really worship? You and I are tempted in the same ways all the time. If I were to, to tape record the little voices that you and I hear on a daily basis that whisper to us, they say things all the time about who are you really. And they are pretty voices. Many times they're very demeaning and they're very discouraging. And it, many times those voices cause us to look around at everything and everybody else and compare ourselves to them. That voice is, who are you really? I can make you something else. I can make you better. I can make you happy. You're not happy. This is what you really need to be happy. You're not satisfied, but that guy is satisfied. So what you need is what that guy has. You don't look right. You don't sound right. You have issues. You're addicted. You don't, all these things that you and I have going on inside of our headspace all the time. And all of this is trying to get us lured away from God being ultimate in our life. In the book of James, in verse 4, it says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires that are at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, and you can't possess it, so you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You're adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with this world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, that if your aim is to enjoy this world, then you cannot be a friend of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, jealousy, jealously longs for us to be faithful? He gives us more and more strength to stand against these evil desires. As the scriptures say, God sets himself against the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. Let there be tears for the wrong things that you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on Him, He will lift you up and give you honor. Evil desires within us. This, this passage describes 
inner turmoil. It describes things going on inside of us that you and I sometimes don't even give a second thought to. Things that are going on inside of us that we just go through our day and just think that this is life as usual. And we never even stop to recognize what is happening and why it's happening. If any of you ever had a day where you started off and everything was going good and all of a sudden things begin to unravel inside of you and all of a sudden your stress level begins to elevate and that leads into thoughts and, and anxiety and fear and stress. Next thing you know, because you're in stress mode and now you're not right, you're going to that familiar thing that you go to, whatever it is that you go to, and that thing now dominates your thoughts because all you are worried about is relieving your stress, relieving your anxiety, and this cycle continues in your life over and over and over again. Some of you, it leads to a blow-up, and you've got to yell. You've got to just unleash on somebody, and then you feel better, only to let that cycle continue. Some of you go to your addiction, whatever that may be, whether you drink or use or whether you look at pornography or whether you indulge in some type of addictive behavior. It's what you need in that moment because now this cycle has started and you never even stop and go, what's going on inside of me? Where does this come from? And scripture says it starts inside of us. But it is not just us that is doing it. It's not just us that is at play. See, I want to tell you something that may shock you, but I hope it opens your eyes. Scripture says that the enemy of our soul, the one that is all about the kingdom of darkness, is trying to destroy you. And the devil uses us against ourselves. See, many of us think temptation is that shiny object that comes along our path that we see, that we want, that we got to go after, but it's much more sinister. It's much more familiar and close to home. The enemy uses our desires, uses our lust, uses our turmoil, uses our fear, uses our anxiety, uses our inability to trust. It uses our inability to let things go. It uses our unforgiveness. It uses all the things that you and I carry inside of us. And when Jesus says, deliver us from temptation in that prayer that we read, and then he says, deliver us from the evil one. These two things go hand in hand. See, in James, it says this really interesting thing. It says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What do you think that means? What do you think that looks like, to resist the devil so that he will flee from you? It doesn't say, get in a slugfest with the devil and beat him up. It doesn't say, get into some kind of big, giant, drawn-out ordeal. It says to resist. If I were to bring two people up here right now and one person wanted to go this way, one person wanted to go this way, and I said, all you got to do is just prevent the other person from moving forward. All they would have to do is just put their hands out and just apply some pressure. And there would be resistance. There would be something that would stop motion, something that would stop progress, something that would stop 
where you were headed and what you were doing. And Scripture says that when we resist the devil, he flees. He takes off. And when we read the story in the Bible about Jesus and Satan and how they interacted, we don't see a long thing drawn out. We see Jesus dealing with him, matter of fact, in a way that caused him to leave. But when we're dealing with temptation, we have to recognize tonight that where the enemy likes to deal most is in darkness. He's all about darkness. He's all about keeping things concealed. For us to resist him, we have to recognize him. We have to know what's going on. Am I suggesting to you today that sometimes when you're dealing with these thoughts in your head and you think, oh, I'm just going through my day, I'm just doing what I do. Am I suggesting to you tonight that there may be something much more sinister at play? Yeah, totally. Am I suggesting to you tonight that when things are going great and then all of a sudden something randomly comes into your life and just starts disrupting everything, that there may be something more sinister? Yeah, I am. And I'm telling you that if he goes undetected, he'll destroy He'll mess with you. He'll make you miserable. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be miserable. I got enough things in my life that are challenges enough and to have to deal with that. When we resist Satan and we smash that idol in our life and we say no to being lured away to something other than God, something other than in Christ, we are making Jesus supreme in our lives. And there's so many different ways that you and I try to elevate things in our life over God. It can be our job. It can be our family. It can be our career. It can be our ministry. It can be the very things in our life that we pin our life on and we look at and we go, I have to have that. And we begin to chase it. We begin to go after it. And we begin to long for it. We begin to desire it. And so tonight as we come face to face with this understanding of what temptation is, we have to recognize that temptation comes from within. And yet, we don't face it by ourselves. Many of you here tonight have a hard time getting close to God because you know who you are. Because you know what you've done. Because you know the life that you've led. And to be in, in an environment where you want to get near to God brings up all of the thoughts, all of the wrong that you've ever done. And it brings up all of the things that you want to forget. And so when you hear me talk about this concept of having a relationship with God and being able to connect with God, it's so foreign to you because you're just like, God wouldn't have anything to do with me. Look at me. You know what I am. You know who I am and what I've done. God would not have anything to do with me. And yet in the Bible it says something totally different about God. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, this crazy verse about Jesus in 14, it says, this is why we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven. Jesus, the Son of God. So let us cling to Him and never stop trusting Him. This high priest of ours 
understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same temptations that we do. Yet he didn't sin. So let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it. Boldly come to the throne of God. See, it says here that God wants to be close to us. It says here that Jesus wants to be close to us. Tonight, we have an opportunity to get close to God. Some of you don't know what that means. You don't know what that looks like. It starts with opening up your heart. It starts with recognizing that you need something more than you can give yourself. Recognizing that you need something more than this world can give you. And then it begins to go deeper than that. It begins to recognize that in and of yourself, you need God. You look at this world and you look at the things that are happening right now and you look at the decay and you look at the chaos and you look at all of the devastation and you think, why is it so out of control? Why is it so bad? Why does it not make any sense? It doesn't make any sense because God wants to be in the middle of it and He's not. God wants to be in the middle of it, working it out, but He's not. Sin is rampant and it is destroying and this world is infected with a disease that's killing it from the inside out. And God says, I want to bring restoration. I want to bring a fix. And He says, I will provide for you a way. And in Hebrews, it talks about this concept of a priest. It talks about this concept of a man that was chosen by God to be able to deal with our sin. And if you go back in history to a different time in a different place in a different culture, you'll find that there were actually people in the society that would go before God and they would say, God, we've done wrong, we've sinned, and we need to make it right. And they would actually make sacrifices to God to deal with that sin. In our society, we don't do that anymore. But we're just as broken and jacked up as they were back then. We're just as marred and just as in need of somebody to deal with our stuff. And Christ came and said, I'll deal with your stuff. And He stepped into that role of priest for us. That God would know us. That God would accept us. That God would come into relationship with us. And if you're here tonight, and all of this has piqued your curiosity, and you don't even know what to do with these things, we want to talk to you. We want to explain it to you in a way that makes sense to where you're living and where you are. If something's happened tonight through listening to the music or through listening to Scripture and it's caused you to long for something more than yourself, that's God. That's not just human curiosity. We call this place gravity because we've experienced something that is bigger than us. It's a force that never stops. And it's like gravity that continues to pull on us. And just as we know that this world has a gravitational pull to it and it just keeps us with our feet on the ground, we believe that Jesus is at the center of this universe 
and He pulls us to Himself unconditionally and non-stop with a love that cannot be explained. And you can resist all of your life and you can say no to it for as long as you live, but you will die an exhausted person because He loves you and He will not stop. And if you've experienced something pulling on your heart tonight, we want you to know God. And you can. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And we're going to enter into a time that we call repentance and reflection. There's, a, there's an ancient tradition in Scripture. People used to gather together around a table and they would, they would have a meal together. And when they would come together to eat this meal, it's centered around the food and, and juice. But there was a very special meal that took place in the life of Jesus. It was a meal that took place just before He died and left this earth. Many people refer to it as the Lord's Supper or the last meal. In this time, Jesus was together with His closest friends. And He was telling them, I'm getting ready to leave this world and you're not going to see me anymore. But He says this amazing promise to him. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. He says, you won't see me anymore, but I'm not going to leave you alone. And they were perplexed. They were just like, what do you mean you're going to leave, but you're not going to leave us alone? How is this going to work? Because if you're not with us, we're kind of alone. Hello. But he begins to explain to them the fact that he was going to be with them all the time. That he was literally going to become a part of them. And I'm sure they were kind of freaked out by this whole deal. They're just like, whoa, I don't know. But Jesus made this promise to him. He says, I am going to come back to you. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so we will be together forever. And I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you everything in your life that you can't give yourself. And then he says to him this thing. He says, this is the last time we're going to eat together. But I don't want you to stop eating together. And I want you to get together often. And every single time you do, I want you to take a piece of bread. And I want you to look at it. And I want you to take it and eat it. And remember what I'm about to do for you. Remember me. Tonight as we dip this bread in this juice, Jesus said, this juice, this, this wine, this this fruit of the vine is something that's going to represent the blood that I'm about to lay down for you guys. And this blood is, is what you need because I'm going to step into that role of being your priest. And you'll never need another priest ever again. And he says, so when you take this wine and you, or this, this juice and you, you have the bread together, remember that you never, ever, ever have to go to a priest again. I'm going to be your priest and I'm going to make you right with God. And you'll always be able to come close to God. He'll never tell you no. He'll never tell you get away because you've sinned too much this time. He'll never tell you you're too dirty to be in my presence. He'll never tell you that you don't qualify. He says, take the bread and take the juice and come boldly to me. This is your sign. This is, this is it. And so tonight as we come to these, we've got these stations all over. As we come to them, what we do is we say to God, God, you know I'm a mess. You know what I am inside. 
I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole life or if you've never been to a church before. We're all a mess without the grace of Jesus. And so when we come to him, we get to say, Jesus, you did it all for me. Thank you so much. And we take it and we remember and we, we repent of anything in our life that would cause us to think otherwise. Any temptation that comes along that would cause us to want to make something other than God our ultimate tonight. It's all about him. And this is our moment to make it all about him. So it's really simple. You don't have to do this if you don't want to, but if you want to, we want you to come and have a moment with God. So take the bread, take the juice, and then go and find a place where you can just talk to God. Get alone with God for a few minutes and let him love you. Let him talk to you. Let him be with you. And if you're here tonight and you need us to help you through this process, if you're here tonight and you need us to answer your questions or to pray with you, we want to pray with you so bad. Just sit where you're at. And just raise a hand up. We're going to turn the lights back off. And all you got to do is just sit there. We'll come to you. You don't even have to come up here in front of us. We'll find you if that's where you're at tonight.